Well, greetings, friends. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here at the Heights. If you would do me a favor before we begin, obviously we have a packed room. We have a few people still waiting to be seated. If you would just slide to the inside of whatever row you're on, uh, just make a new friend, cozy up. We'll be out of here in a little while, but that would be a great help to a, a good number of people who are still waiting to find a seat. And if when you slide in, you have a, a good handful of seats at the end of your row, if you just kind of pop your hand up for a second so they can see where those are and get some folks seated. We have a good number over here, in case you're wondering. But again, my name is James. I'm the pastor for Singles and Discipleship here at the Heights. Uh, And we're going to be moving, I apologize ahead of time, we're going to be moving very quickly because we have a lot to do this morning in just the normal amount of time. Uh, And so we're going to try to make room for everything. But I'm excited to share this time with you specifically because this is a, a very interesting point in the year. You know, we, we just had Christmas and we're getting ready to have a new year. Uh, and I, I feel like I'm still just barely a grown-up. Like I'm turning 28 tomorrow. And so I haven't been a grown-up for very long. Yeah, it's, thank you. It's my golden birthday, 28 on the 28th. And so I'm expecting big things, lots of bacon. Um, and so uh, what was I saying? Don't do that to me today. Um, and so I'm excited to spend this time with you because I feel like I'm just coming into that point of life where I have goals that take more than a week to accomplish. I mean, I, I, seriously, like, I feel like everything, you know, okay, I'm going to do this this week, I'm going to do this this month, and such culture shock to come into a point in life where a simple plan, a simple goal, one simple step can take a year, a year and a half, two years, several years to execute. And so that point where you come to the end of the year and hopefully you're, you're taking stock of the last year and you're figuring out what needs to change in the coming year, that's such a, an interesting and, and special and intimidating thing in a lot of ways. And so one of the, two, two of the, the uh, I don't know, important elements of that is whenever we do that kind of stock taking, there's always this estimate of what the best we can do is. You know, you start to look at the next year and you start to think, okay, what, there's the question of what is the best that I can do? And the second thing is maybe a little bit more fundamental. It's this, this picture that we have of the good life, this understanding that we have of what life is all about. And so you have those two questions. What's life all about? What's the, the good life? And what's the best that I can do? And so you may come to the conclusion that, you know, to live life, to live the good life is all about, I don't know, money, fitness, good family, good moral character. And so you start to do the math and you think, well, maybe the best that I could do this year is if I could save a little bit more money, get out of my fat pants, back into my old jeans, get that family member to stop sassing me and maybe be a little bit more patient with that person by the end of the year. Right? You, you figure out what the good life is, and you start to make the best guess of what the best you can do is. And so that idea of the good life, the old Greek thinkers used to call that the telos, like the, the aim of life, and our Presbyterian brothers and sisters call that the chief end of man. The, the big complication with all that is very often we don't actually sit down and do the math and figure out, what do I actually think the good life is? What really is the best that I can do this year, and how do, how do I connect the two? How do I connect the dots on that? More often than not, what we actually do is we kind of just, you know, we live life, we watch TV, and usually just whatever people are smiling about on TV, that, that kind of just works its way onto our heart, right? We see, we see rich people smiling on TV, and so we, we start to pursue wealth. We see muscular, sleek people start to smile on TV, and we, we start to pursue physical fitness, right? We, we watched a, an episode of The Voice, and for some reason on The Voice, All of the judges have just impossibly white teeth (laughs) in in that little token Coca-Cola cup, right? Which is like, if you're drinking Coke, that's, I mean, it's it's water. Never mind, we don't have time for that today. Um, And so you you, you watch The Voice and everybody has just sparkling white teeth and you think, you know what? I'm going to go get some Crest White Strips and I could go for a Coke, right? (laughs) 
But that's usually how it works. It's just, you know, we, we see these things, we see these pictures, the, and, and these, these notions of the good life start to work themselves onto our hearts, and we haven't given it a single thought. And so what I want to do for this very special time of the year, this very kind of pivotal Sunday right here before we start a new year, is I want to offer a candidate for what the good life is. And I want to offer an estimate of the, what the best you can do this year is. And I want to do both of those things for Genesis 5. So if you would, get your Bibles or fire up your Bible app. I'll be reading sort of from the English Standard Version. I'll explain that in a second. Uh, but we're going to be, I'm going to call your attention to Genesis 5. And the, the candidates that I want to put forward is that the good life is about knowing God. I know you did not expect to hear that in church, but... It's an oldie, but it's a goodie, right? And the best that you can do this year, this morning, is to walk with God. And so start the very beginning of your Bible. Start flipping to the right, and you'll get to Genesis 5. You'll skip past Genesis 1, which portrays the account of God creating. You'll skip Genesis chapter 2, and the purposes for which God made mankind to dwell with them, to be with them. You'll skip Genesis chapter 3 and seeing those plans broken by sin and rebellion and pride and the promise that God made that he was going to make all of that right by one of Eve's kids. And so you get to chapter 4 and you start to look at those kids because we're looking for the one, right? And we know it's not going to be either one of those kids because you have Cain and Abel. It's not going to be Abel because Abel got murdered. It's not going to be Cain because Cain murdered Abel. He's not making things better. He's making things worse. And so you follow Cain's kids all the way through chapter 4 and you arrive at chapter 5. And right at the end of chapter 4, it says that, that God gave Adam and Eve another kid in Abel's place. And right about that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. People began to worship the one true God. And so we pick up in Genesis chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And I'm going to give you the James 4 abridged reading, so just bear with me. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man, and they were created. When, man lived when Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. And Adam lived more years, he fathered more kids, he lived all of his days, and he died. And Seth lived and fathered Enosh, and he fathered more kids, he lived more years, he lived all of his days, and he died. And Enosh lived and fathered Kenan, and Enosh lived and fathered more kids, lived more years, lived all his days, and he died. And when Kenan lived and fathered Mahalalel, Kenan lived more years, he fathered more kids, he lived all of his days, and he died. And Mahalalel lived and fathered Jared, and Mahalalel lived more years, he fathered more kids, he lived all of his days, and he died. And Jared lived and fathered Enoch, and Jared lived more years, he fathered more kids, he lived all of his days, and he died. <laughs> I, knew that they, I knew if it took too long on that, there would be, like, I know that some of you dragged some, real, like, loved one's friends to church today, and if I hung out too long on the genealogy, panic attack, right? But let's stop there for a second. Stop there for a second, and just think for a second. At the end of each chain in the link, right, what were the last few words in every chain in the link? He lived more years, he fathered more kids, and he died. Why is that there? There's not a single other genealogy, list of descendants in the rest of the Bible where that's the case. And doesn't that go without saying, right? This guy lived X number of years, and we just assume that's how the story ends, right? Why are those words there? Two reasons. One, they're a reminder that we are not at home anymore. This is what I mean by this. This is, this is one of my favorite illustrations of this. If you take a fish, right, a fish is at home in the water, Right? So you take a fish, you pull them out of the water, what's going to happen? 
Two things. Its life is going to get much shorter and much more painful, right? By the same token, you take a human being, you snap your fingers, and you plunge them into the depths of the sea. What's going to happen? Its life is going to get much shorter and much more painful. You take a human being and you blast them into outer space, you pop the hatch, no tank, no soup. What's going to happen? It's, it's, his life is going to get much shorter and much more painful. Let's, let's, let's flip it around a little bit. Say we stay right where we are, God's green earth, right where we belong, and somebody snatches all of the oxygen off of the planet. What's going to happen? Our lives are going to get much shorter and much more painful. It's like, but we're still at home, right? It's like, well, well kind of. It's not home the way it was meant to be, right? There's something crucial for life that's missing. Now think about this and connect the dots. You talk to somebody who's lived a full life, a long life, 70, 80, 90 years. And more than likely, you talk to that person in their last days, and they're going to tell you that their days seemed much shorter and much more painful than they should have been. What does that mean? It's because we live here, but there's something, someone crucial for life missing. God's design for for mankind, for his creation, was for him to to dwell with them, to be there, for heaven and earth to intersect, for God's space and our space to intersect. Think about it this way. We sing the song in church where we say, "You you are God in heaven and here am I on earth, so I'll let my words be few, right? How would have Adam sung that song? You are God in the garden and... Here am I in the garden, right? Because God's design was not for there to be this divorce between his space and our space, where he is and where we are. But sin brought that into the world, and when that happens, it's deadly that every single person in this room has a case of homesickness, and it's terminal. So these words over and over again, remember this, I mean, we're so, we get so numb, we get so used to just death and decay, and you get to the je- chapter 5 of Genesis, the fall of mankind happened like a page ago, but it's a reminder, hey, we're not at home anymore. We're, we're at home, but someone's missing, and it's killing us. The second thing that those words do is it makes it blaringly obvious when they're missing. So look at Genesis chapter 5 again, verse 24. What does it say? Enoch walked with God, and he was not... For God took him. What three words are missing? Death didn't take Enoch. God took Enoch. And so that's one of the reasons why I want to use this passage. This is all over the Bible, but from the very beginning of God's word, it tells us that there is a way back into life, that death doesn't have to have the last word, that God can take you. And the thing that's interesting about about this word, take, the all over Genesis, the only time that's, that's used about one person taking another person, just about every time, you can take all sorts of stuff, but when a person takes a person, almost every time we're talking about marriage. And we still use that language, right? That I take you to be my lawfully wedded. You look at the, the chapter right before this one, it talks about Lamech taking wives. The chapter right after this one talks about the sons of God taking the daughters of men, Right? So over and over again, this this wording, when a person takes a person, we're talking about a new home, we're talking about intimacy, we're talking about knowledge and self-disclosure. You know where the first place in the Bible where a person takes another person? Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, and God took Adam and he put him in the garden to work and to keep it. 
the Garden of Eden, home where God's space and our space intersect. And so it's telling us, man, from the very beginning of the Bible, there is a way back home. There's a way back into God's space to be present with him. And what's the way? Enoch walked with God. From, again, from the very beginning of the Bible, before, before all the different commands and all the different moving pieces of the Bible, all the different trees that sometimes you know, we, we lose the forest through the trees, before everything gets added from the earliest chapters, the answer is walking with God. That that's the good life. That's the best that you can do. And I don't have to, ex- I don't have to explain what that means, right? Like, we, we get what that means. We have people that we, we walk through life with. We walk through different seasons of life. And there's friendship and there's camaraderie. There's love. There's affection. There's self-disclosure. There's conflict sometimes, right? People that you, you walk with life through. And, and so we, we get what that means. The word walk over 120 t- times is used in the book of Genesis. Only a precious few, eight times, is it used in the special form that it is here. And almost every single one of those eight it's talking about someone's special relationship to God. And every time, it's the answer. So we see right here, Enoch walked with God, and it means life. We're going to see later, Noah walked with God, and it meant rescue from judgment. We see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob walk with God, and it meant an inheritance. From the very beginning of the Bible, the answer is walking with God. This special relationship. You know where the first time the word out of those precious few eight, you know where the first time the word walk is used in Genesis? Genesis 3.8, and Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. To walk with God is to begin the journey home. And how? How's this for cutting to the chase, right? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. We've been celebrating that all Christmas season, right? One of our favorite passages from the very beginning of Matthew's gospel is where it says, uh, it uses that prophecy from Isaiah, and and it's talking about how the virgin's going to conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? One of the problems, I think, is sometimes, just maybe somewhere here on the back burner, we think of that as something for back then. Like we think, man, it would have been really cool if I could, you know, be back in Jesus' day and, and, and sit with him. And man, God with us right there, right? Which is totally missing the point. That's from the first chapter of Matthew's gospel, some of the first words about Jesus. The very last chapter of Matthew's gospel, the very last words of the gospel, the very last words of the living, crucified, resurrected Jesus, the very last words of that same gospel are go, make Jesus followers of every nation. Go make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I commanded you, and behold, I am what? With you. Always. Even to the end of the age. The whole point of Jesus coming was to become the one that we walk with and the one who takes us. The one who takes us. We've, been, we've used, I was talking with Randy about this earlier this week. We've, we, we've seen Genesis 14 a few times over the past several days. When Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, look, don't freak out. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
right? In my father's house, there are many rooms. In my father's estate, there are many mansions. If it was not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and I'm going to take you to myself so that where I am, you also may be. If you were in Jesus's day, if you were a Jew in Jesus's day, in Jesus's culture, you would have been keenly aware that Jesus was using marriage language. That's, that's how, that's how grooms-to-be sweet-talked a, a bride-to-be. That was the, the marriage culture, the, the, the betrothal custom in their day, that a, a man would go and add on to his father's estate, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you, and I'm going to take you so that where I am, you can be right there with me. Right? And then Jesus says, and you know the way. His disciples say, how do we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way. Now, Take all of this, take all of this, take Adam, take the garden, take Enoch, take Jesus. If Jesus is the way, if he's the one who comes and takes us, what does it mean for Jesus to be the way? Does it mean that we just kind of agree with him on some stuff? Does it mean that we do some of the stuff that he tells us to do? Does it tell, I mean, that we kind of give him some sort of tip of the hat? No, it means that we, we walk with him. He becomes the one that we walk with and who takes us, and it's the very best that you can do. And the reason why you are able to walk with God in Christ is because Jesus Christ walked perfectly with God, and he was not taken, he was forsaken on a cross for your sake and for my sake, so that we can walk with God even with with sins and stumbles and still walk with him and be taken by him. Do, Do you walk with him? And we're getting ready to get into a little bit of a risky territory here because I know there are some people in this room that have been walking with God for a long time, but maybe you're a little neurotic like I am sometimes. And so one of the weird things about the Christian life is the more that you actually walk with God, the more you draw near to him, the more you see more areas of life where you haven't drawn near yet. And since you're so, since you're so frantic, since you're so panicked to, to be near God, you see more and more places where, where you don't feel his nearness the, the way sometimes you do. And so sometimes you work up yourself up into thinking, oh, maybe I don't walk with God. Maybe I don't. Yeah, you do. One of, one of the ways you can know easiest that you walk with God is you don't feel like he's around enough and you f- see more areas where you're, you're lacking. That's what the cross is for, right? And so I don't want to freak you guys out. But the, the other risk on the other side of things is there, there could be people in this room who are doing lots of things that aren't walking with God. There could be somebody in this room who, if I ask you, do you walk with God? Oh, yeah, yeah, I walk with God. I walk with God, yeah, you know, I'm I'm spiritual. I'm into those sorts of things. But you don't know anything about his his word. You don't know anything about his person. You You don't live with his people. You don't spend time with them. And you don't actually walk with them. You just have an imaginary friend, and he's not taking you anywhere. And so it's a very important question. And don't, don't, hear me, don't hear me being like sarcastic or patronizing, but really, he's a person. People began to call on the name of the Lord. He is a person. Do you walk with him? Oh, yeah, James, you know, I, I'm, I'm a good moral person. You know, I, I do the right thing. People at work, no, I'm, I'm the guy with the integrity. But do you walk with him? Yeah, 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 no, I come, I come to church. I serve in this area of ministry, in this area of ministry. But do you walk with him? Oh, yeah, no, no, I've raised good kids. You know, I, 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 they, they have, they're level-headed. People know that they're, you know, they got their heads on straight, and we, we instill good values in them. But do you walk with them? Do they walk with them? Is one of the kids, are you, if you're raising kids, are you making your children jealous of the closeness that you have with the Lord? 
Do you, do you walk with them? James, I know a lot about the Bible, man. I memorized all sorts of passages last year. But do you, do you, do you walk with him? Do you know him? If he walked in the room right now, would you know him when you saw him? Would you, would you have a conversation to pick up with him? Oh, hey, by the way, you know, you know last time we spoke, we were... Do you guys fight about anything? One of the biggest ways to know if you're actually walking with a real person versus an imaginary friend is God will fight you on some stuff. Because he's perfect, and you're not, and he's going to call you to change. If your God never argues with you, imaginary friend mode. Do you... Do you and that was supposed to be like the, you know, the, the, dramatic, the dramatic moment, right? And that was supposed to be like the gravitas. Do, do you walk with them? Do, do you walk with them? And one, the hope of the gospel, the shape of the gospel, is that you're separated from God by sin, right? But Jesus comes in, makes that better, and he, he opens up access to God, right? But still, there, because God's space and our space, there's still that divorce, right? There, his space doesn't interlock with our space the way that it did in Jesus Christ, the way that it did in the temple, the way that it did in the garden, right, where his presence was right there. You can't still, still can't see him with the naked eye, so even though we have access to him, you start off with kind of this, this relational wall between you and God, right? But as you start to walk with him, as you start to, to walk with his people and, and get in his word and spend time in prayer, as you walk with him, more and more that wall thins out, right? It thins out and thins out, and you walk and you pray and you read and you serve and you get in with his people and you, you join in his mission. And eventually that, what was once a wall, thins out to a very, very thin veil, Right? To where you can, you can hear them on the other side. You ever get like, jealous with people when they say, oh yeah, I heard from the Lord. First, you know, check the Bible, make sure that it matches up. But also, that, that's the hope of the Christian life, right? That that wall thins out into a veil where you can, you can hear from him. And you can, you, can almost, you can feel his presence there. You have that confidence that you know he's there. And then when Jesus Christ returns to bring heaven back to earth, or when you pass through the physical doors of death, that very thin veil lifts, and the person that's standing in front of you is somebody who is incredibly familiar, who you've walked with, who you know, who you love, who you are excited to see. I also think that's one of the reasons why the Bible talks about God in stillness and quiet, and how, how God speaks in whispers and not in the big things, right? James, if, if God would just you know, part the clouds and he talked to me, I believe in him. Hopes are too low. Listen, you don't scream at somebody who's nearby. You, you whisper. And so if you can't hear from God, maybe the problem isn't that God isn't speaking loud enough. Maybe the problem is you haven't drawn close enough. That's the hope of the gospel, that we can draw near to God in Christ. That's literally, that's literally all I have for you this morning, right? And so we could leave here, I can pray, you guys can bounce, and you, you know, go get some good lunch or, or what have you. Hopefully you're, you're on the way home. And, oh man, no, that was an interesting uh, sermon. You know, I never saw the semantic links between God walking with God, you know, God, God taking Adam and you know, God taking Enoch, and then Jesus takes us, and that was pretty cool. Oh man, he stepped on my toes today. So we, we could do that, right? But what if the best that we can do is actually spend a little time drawing near to God right now, James, we, Randy just finished the uh, series in James. One of the, the chapter five, one of the promises in, in, in the book of James is if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you, period. Wild hope, right? That's nuts. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. You might not get the liver quiver. You might not feel any sort of way, but he will, in fact, actually draw near to you if you draw near to him. 
And so I'm going to invite some friends up. I'm going to invite some friends up. And if we could just for a few moments just spend some time in prayer and song, we're going to kind of do like the Psalms today. You, you know, the Psalms are all songs in the Bible, but they're also uh, all prayers, because most, well, almost all prayers, because they're directed to God. We're going to spend some time doing that. And so right here, if you would just, if you would bow your head in prayer, and this is what I want to do. I, I don't care if you're in this room. I don't care if you're watching by simulcast. I don't care if it's the year 2025 and you have me in your earbuds right now. If you would just, if you would join me in prayer, and we're going we're gonna to get on our knees. And if you, if you would, wherever you are, whether, whether you're at home right now, if you're at home right now and you're with a group, if you're watching by simulcast, be the one who says, you know what, let's try that. Let's try that. And wherever you are at home, wherever you're listening to this, just slide down to your knees. If you're able to, even if you just want to turn around where your seat is in this room right now and just kneel at your chair, the floor is concrete over there. If you want to come to the steps, a little more comfortable, carpet, right, and just kneel over here as we start. We're going to do this for a little while. Just let's spend some time just waiting on him, drawing near to him. May, may we have enough hope to draw near to him in hopes and confidence that he will draw near to us. So just wherever you are, if you would kneel down. And Amber's going to pray for us. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare your Before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Father, who are you that you are mindful of us? Who are we that in all of your majesty, we are not always mindful of you? Psalm 34, verse 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. 
I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Father, I pray that we would hide ourselves in you. Psalm 22, verse 19 says, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. I pray that you would, Father, I pray that you would draw those who need help, who need aid in this room, those who feel like you're far off. We know that there's a difference between your hiddenness and your absence. I pray that they would have a sense of your nearness. Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Father, I pray that we would just be incredibly thirsty for your presence. I pray that in our daily life we would stop and just acknowledge that you are there, to long to hear from you, to long even to be corrected by you. I pray that that would be what our souls are thirsty for. Psalm 69, verse 3 says, I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Father, I pray for anybody in here who is waiting on you. I praise you for the fruit of the Spirit in their life, that they are actually waiting on you. But I pray that they would have a sense of your nearness even now. I pray that they would have an awareness of your presence. become more aware of your presence let us become more aware of your presence psalm 145 18 says the lord is near to everyone who calls on him to all who really call on him Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us become more aware of your presence. Isaiah 29, 13, God says about his people, this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And the fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Father, I pray that our, our reverence and our love for you and our fear of you would not be something that, that we just know about. I pray that it would be something deep in our hearts because we walk with the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, sovereign God, I pray that that would be true of us. I pray that we wouldn't just honor you with our lips or with empty actions, but that we would walk with you.
Father, I pray that you would be with us. Even this week, as we think about our year, I would pray that, that every single person in this room, by the burdening, pressing of your Holy Spirit, would just have the thirst to draw near to you. I pray that this room, for those who would be back, for those who, who are part of our church family, even for those who are going away, I pray that they would, they would leave their families, their church families, better because of how they've drawn so close to you this year. Sink my feet in the stone. Sink my feet in your stone. Not asking for anything. Just keep me by you. Keep me by you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little bit of navigating to do, I guess. Go ahead and get back to your seats. Friends, thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for bearing with me as we do a little bit something different. Walk with them. Go home, and if it may be something you have to do unspiritual stuff to make the spiritual stuff happen. Go home and figure out how you were going to wake up 30 minutes earlier this year. Figure out how you're going to, uh, which TV show you're going to eliminate on which night of the week so that you can spend a little time drawing near to him, have the comfort, have the security, have the refuge, have the peace, have the boldness and the courage that comes, not when you know about him, but when he's right there next to you. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you're, if you're who, I'm so, always so bad at this. If you're a guest of ours, uh, we have this, this table back there. We call it the Fresh Start Table. We're glad that you came to visit with us. Go by and get a gift. It's a coffee cup, candy, uh, information about our church. If you, if you this morning felt something in your heart that told you that you are not walking with the Lord and you want to take that first step in walking with him. Go to that same table in the back. There are a group of people who would love to talk to you about how to make that happen. However long you want to be there, that's how long you'll be there. It won't make you late for lunch. But please don't leave here if God is working on your heart without taking that that step. And if you're looking for a church family to walk with, because that's a huge part of walking with God, same table. They'd love to talk to you about how to how to join our church. Uh, We thank you so much for being here this morning. We love you guys, and you're dismissed. Oh, also, I'll be right there in the middle of the concourse if you want to meet me. (laughs) If you're you're a first-time guest, I would love to meet you. God bless y'all. Y'all have a great week.